2: welcome everyone. Oh my goodness, I know you've been hearing a lot tonight on WCCO Radio, but I've been sitting here with you and I am so excited to start the show. Even though we're a little late, we are here and the bottom line is that I always wait for you and you always wait for me and I thank you for that. Hey, I want to talk about Jonathan Lowe. He's an exceptional producer. I really appreciate him being on with us every Sunday night unless he can't. How many times have you gotten to the point where you can't Jonathan? Honestly, it feels like you're with me almost always well let's see
1: mentally uh let's not answer that question but uh and by the way mentally thank you for the the kind words as i'm talking my head is now too big for my headphones it's growing in size as we continue as i continue to talk no uh i don't take many sundays off i uh I I take, you know, try to take a couple vacations a year, but for the most part, I've been here on Sunday nights uh, for most of the past twelve years.
2: Twelve years—that's amazing. I did did take a break for a few years, though. Twelve years, because I think I've had three or four producers in the twenty-three years I've been here. So I did (laughs)
1: take—I did take a break for for a few years and didn't work on Sundays, and I've been back ever since late twenty-twenty. So about, I took about four years off where I wasn't uh, here on Sunday nights most of the time. Right.
2: Right. It's amazing how we uh, get get our producers and, and they come right in and get to work. And sometimes we fit with each other and other times we don't. And, you know, this is how it happens in radio. But we get used to it. That's for sure. I am excited, Jonathan, because <clears throat> the Vikings won today. Um, I remember uh, when I left the studio <laughs> earlier today, there were people walking towards me with this really sad look on their faces. Right. And, and they had the, the jerseys on. And I said to them, so... Did we win or lose? And they said, well, we just had to leave. We couldn't watch it anymore. It was so terrible. So they left too early, didn't they?
1: They did. Uh, The Vikings were down most of the game to Detroit. Detroit came in and got a big lead early. They were up 14 to nothing. Then Mm -hmm. Minnesota came back and tied it going to the half. Uh, Detroit got the lead back and got up 10, 24-14 in the fourth quarter. And – The Vikings came down, scored once, then they got the ball back late and scored with 45 about 45 seconds to go in the game. A long touchdown pass from Kirk Cousins to K.J. Osborne for the win that put the Vikings up uh, 28-24, and they held on to win by that same score.
2: Four points, man. Four points. We got to hand it to them. They pulled it out. They got it done. Uh, people still get mad, though. It's like, please don't do this to us all year where we have to walk away with our, you know, chins on the ground. Um, people get really frustrated when we don't win more. I'm hoping uh, this will be a year of winning more.
1: I'll say this. Uh, the first game that they had, uh, the that the Vikings had against the Packers, everybody was over the moon because they beat the Packers. They beat them soundly. And this was the first game of a new era, so they were thinking, oh, this is going to be great, and all the optimism is high, and the hype is really building, and then they went to Philadelphia, and Philadelphia (laughs) has not been kind to the Vikings
2: for many years. I believe the word stomp comes up. Many a year,
1: yes. They got stomped in the NFC Championship game a few years ago, and then they got pretty much worn down Monday night when they were in Philadelphia. So you didn't really know what to expect with Detroit coming in because Detroit had won a game and lost a game, but they had been scoring at a at an, a phenomenal clip, over 30 points a game, which is something you haven't seen out of Detroit in years. And so the fact that they were coming in so so hot on offense, you wondered what would happen with the Vikings. The defense held them down just a little bit. And again, they held them enough so that the the offense could start clicking in the fourth quarter and get them to come back. So right now it's a mixed bag. There's, there's optimism because they won two games out of three, but you're still kind of wondering how the offense is going to build, how... The defense will play. It's still a work in progress.
2: Yeah, but what I want to know is how are the season tickets going? Because this is how we don't ask really me gauge. That. If people are awake and saying, you know, it's going to be a better year, we're optimistic, you start looking at those season tickets and how they're selling. And you so you t- don't know how you it's t- selling?
1: You talk about above my pay grade? Viking season tickets is above my pay grade. <laughs> and I'm not talking about, oh, that's management. No, 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 no. I'm talking about too much money. Too much, that, that oh, is too, Lord. that's, you, you have no idea how expensive those <laughs> tickets
2: are. <laughs> Sometimes you complain like a girl, I tell you.
1: <laughs> I'm just, I'm just keeping facts. If anybody wants you're to call, and corro- someone's okay. going to call and corroborate this story. If you're, you. tra- if you're talking about tickets to a Vikings game, period, those are going to be pretty pricey. Right. Viking season tickets? Because remember, you also have to get what's called a PSL, a personal seat license, to get those season tickets.
2: Hey, I, I'm, I'm not even over them telling us that the women had to, to bring into uh, the U.S. Bank Stadium clear purses. I mean, crystal clear. Yeah. You could see everything yeah. in their purses, but the men didn't have to do that. They'd have to just open up their wallet, put it down. they look at it a little bit and then let them in. Do you know how frustrating that is? And many women decided not to go back to U.S. Bank Stadium when that started happening. They were like, I'm, I'm done. I'm so done. I hope that's changed. I will.
1: I, I don't know if it's changed. I want, When you were saying that, I wonder if it it has changed, but I will say this: there was no shortage of women coming out of the stadium today that I saw. Um, it was males, it was females, it was uh, a whole bunch of people that were walking up and down Seventh uh, Avenue or Seventh Street. And I'm sorry, Seventh Avenue and uh, no Seventh Street. I get I get those confused here in downtown. I've <laughs> I've worked down here for 12 years. You think I know? I know. Better. Because we have
2: First Avenue, First Street, you know, Second Avenue, that's (laughs) That's right. It's weird like that.
1: seventh Street, Sixth Street, down to Hennepin, down to Nicolette. Right. A whole bunch of people wearing purple jerseys, some wearing blue jerseys.
2: It's it's a mix. Yeah, it is a mix. But I loved I love seeing that. And so men, don't get mad at me for talking about you opening up your wallets and everything. My whole thing is either open the all wallet, take it all out or put on some plastic pants, see-through. That's what I'm looking for. Okay, we gotta take a break. We'll be back.
0: Stay tuned. T-Mobile has invested billions to light up America's largest 5G network from big cities to small towns, including right here in yours. And great coverage is just the beginning. Right now, families and small businesses can save up to 20% versus AT&T and Verizon when they switch. Visit your local T-Mobile store today
2: Welcome back. It's so great to have you join us tonight. You are listening to Steele Talking. I am your host, Geraldine Steele. It is what I love to do is see, sit here and be with you. I am at home during the show. Earlier, I actually went into the studio, and it was a pleasure. Um, but I, I tell you, I will be back in the studio soon, so you can count on that. I'm excited for our first guest today because here's what we're talking about. This week, the Department of Justice charged dozens of people with fraud in the ongoing scandal around the now disgraced family Feeding Our Future Organization. It's the biggest case to date regarding misappropriating pandemic relief, and it happened in our own backyard. So what does this all mean? Well, joining us to talk about it is Joe Tamborino. He's the owner of the Kaplan and Tamborino Law Firm. He's joining us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. How you doing, sir?
3: Good, good. How are you? Thanks for having me
2: on. I'm doing very well. My goodness. When I first started hearing about this, I just couldn't believe it. I kept thinking to myself, "Oh, you know, some people were saying, well, maybe they just made mistakes. None of us here in Minnesota, I think this is probably a (laughs) a bad way to say it. But honestly, I believe that we thought no way that would happen here, but it did. Tell us what this all means.
3: Well, it's the second largest fraud in Minnesota history. The first one, obviously, was the Tom Petters case. That was $3.6 billion. But it's the largest government fraud uh, tying into COVID funds. So it's a huge amount of money, $250 million. There are 50 people charged, 47 of which have been indicted by a grand jury, and three which are being charged by what's called an information, which is like a criminal complaint. And those three, it appears, are cooperating with the government. So they're probably giving information on the other 47. But it was amazing that it went on for as long as it did. And as we know, um, there were a couple of times where the Minnesota Department of Education raised some red flags on this. So it really should have been caught quicker.
2: I agree with that. You know, some people say maybe these people um, that have already been caught um, will actually serve a large amount of, of of time. Or is this something like a white collar crime? Because in my mind, initially, I would have thought that it was white collar. But because of 250 million being stolen and stolen from children, my goodness. Now I think yeah, y'all need to go deep into the prisons. <laughs>
3: Well, that's correct, because what's happening is technically you would say it's a white-collar crime because it involves money. However, because it's money of COVID funds that should have been going to children who need the nutrition, and um, it's, it's just such a large amount of $250 million, that these folks will be doing a hefty amount of prison time. I mean, there's just no way around it. Now, the people who are cooperating, say we can assume those three that were not charged by indictment, and they're going to be pleading guilty and cooperating, they might get a little bit of time. That's true. But by far, the majority of people will be looking at significant prison time.
2: Okay. So when you say um, this was federally funded, how uh, did the feds know this? Who discovered when this happened here in the state of Minnesota? Who discovered this?
3: Well, first, the Minnesota Department of Education. What happens is these are federal funds, COVID funds, that get funneled through the state. So with this particular program, it went through MDE, which is the Minnesota Department of Education. And when the Department of Education realized that in 2020, uh, things were getting pretty out of hand with Feeding Our Future, they decided to cut off some of their funding. Well, Feeding Our Future then went to court and in approximately June of 2021, they won a motion in Ramsey County and stating that they couldn't just have their funds cut off. So the Department of Education had to continue to fund them. However, the Department of Education really should have appealed that judge's ruling, and that's up to the Attorney General's office. So basically, things started, the wheel started coming off in 2021.
2: Okay, mm-hmm. so if it started in 2021. How long did it take it to get to this point? I mean, didn't they know pretty quickly? Um Some say that it was some. some people would write and say, well, you know, they didn't really know that they were making this mistake. But then there were others involved that knew exactly what they were doing. So if this started in 2021, here we are at, you know, nearing the end of 2022. And they know that the, these people are guilty. Have they decided they're guilty? Is they have to go through the whole process, just like any other um person that did something illegal,
3: right? Yes, two things. Number number one, they have to go through the whole process. They are still presumed innocent. They are entitled to a 12-person jury trial. They're entitled to all the rights that we all share. But number two is back in 21, when the Minnesota Department of Education was in front of a district court judge in Ramsey County, that's really when the state should have stepped in more. Because at that time... The attorney general's office usually represents the different agencies of the state, including the Minnesota Department of Education. So really, when the Department of Education lost that motion in court, they should have appealed it. Now, it seems that people in that department, because basically they weren't getting anywhere stateside, went to the FBI for help. And then once the FBI got involved, of course, they took, as they usually do, they do an extensive investigation, and that took about a year from them. So really back in the spring and early summer of 21 is when the state should have stepped in.
2: Okay, so here's what's really um, bothering me, I think. When you say $250 million, that kind of you know, lays on your ears in a certain way, but not nearly as much as it would if we say a quarter of a billion dollars was stolen, a quarter of a billion dollars, I think will attack our hearts. You know, will come and get us and say, if you don't understand how bad this was, it was a quarter of a billion dollars. To me, that statement makes a lot of sense. And the words that are always used around these type of white collar schemes and and worse, it really matters how it is, um, um, put in the the Star Tribune or any of the newspapers, magazines, television, you know, whatever it goes, how they word it really matters. Do you agree with that?
3: I do agree with that because a quarter of a billion dollars is true. That's how much money appears to have been stolen. And it was taken from a fund that truly was made to help children get lunches, meals, nutrition, and that's very important. And it was so brazen that one of the examples that the federal authorities use is the city of Wilmer, which is a small town, you know, due west of here. They have about twenty-one thousand mm-hmm. people, and they only have four and a half thousand students. Well, according to the federal authorities, they have evidence that as many as two or two and uh, two thousand five hundred students were getting funding for this type of nutrition program. Well, that's impossible. That would basically mean that half the students in Wilmer were supposedly getting fed through this program. So that's how thick um, and how extensive this whole uh, fraud was going on pursuant to the federal government.
2: And what did these idiots um, do with the money that they stole?
3: Well, according to what the U.S. Attorney's Office has issued in their press release and information is, uh, they did a bunch of things with the money. They bought property. They went on trips. Uh, they sent some money over abroad to different uh, people in different countries. They basically enriched themselves. And all of that money was just being done, you know, basically within a matter of two to three years. I mean, think about it. $250 million was squandered in as little as three years. That's a lot of money to go out in such a short period of time.
2: And, of course, they also spent money on luxury cars, houses, jewelry. the typical stuff yes. you know coastal resort property abroad is really quite ridiculous. So, what then is going to happen uh, in in your humble opinion
3: Well, the first thing is they 're going to go through the criminal process. They will have to go through arraignment they 'll go through pre trials they might have motion hearings all the way up to a jury trial and if any of them wish to have a jury trial, they can have that. Now, I'm sure some of them will be trying to work out deals early on, and we won't know that because that's going to be confidential information and we don't know what type of plea offers will be given to them. But then at the same time, the federal government will be trying to get some of the money back. So what will they do? They'll forfeit property. They'll put holds on bank accounts. They'll try whatever they can to just recoup the loss that happened. Now, I don't think they're ever going to be able to come close to getting the whole 250 million, but who knows? Maybe they could get 10, 20, maybe even 50 million back. So that's what's going to be happening.
2: I remember many years ago, uh, it was President Clinton who was encouraging students going to college to please, you know, um, if you you want to be a medical doctor, that'd be great, but don't be, we don't need any more lawyers. So let's look at technology. <laughs> I, I remember him saying that. Um, and uh, of course, I, I changed the words a little bit, but seriously, and now we really need more lawyers. Are there enough lawyers in the state of Minnesota, as well as in DC, that may need to be a part of this, may need to deal with this. Do we have enough people that's even available considering all the other stuff that's going on?
3: Yes, we do. I mean, there are a lot of lawyers in Minnesota and in the federal system, they have what's called a federal defenders panel. So there's a regular public defender's office for the federal system in Minneapolis and St. Paul. But they also have quite a large list of attorneys, private attorneys, who will take on these cases. So, say, out of these 47 people or 50 people, a handful are going to be part of the public defender's office. The other 40 or 45 will go to various attorneys. And we don't know. Some of these individuals might also hire their own attorneys. But there are plenty of attorneys, and I I think they'll all be able to find representation.
2: So what? what is next? We know that the children um, um, did not get the, the funds, did not get the food. How are those children Do How were they able to eat? How was the food provided knowing that a quarter of a billion dollars was stolen?
3: Well, a couple of things. We do know that some of the children were fed. But the other part of it is there really weren't all those children. See, that's part of the fraud. So what the federal oh. government is alleging is that All of these kids didn't really exist. They weren't feeding 3,000 people in Wilmer. Rather, they're alleging that that was all made up. So, yes, some of these meals were going out. But what the federal government is saying is that most of them went to fictitious individuals. They simply weren't giving out the food to actual kids.
2: Oh, my gosh. I don't know about you, but I am truly affected by that. I am truly affected by your words. I, mm-hmm. you, it's just so, uh, it's, it's shameful. You know, this is something that has fallen on the state. And was it, how many other places here in Minnesota? Was it rural parts of Minnesota that people were involved? Because it was a bunch sure. of them involved. Did they come from all over?
3: Well, yes. I mean, most of it was in the Twin Cities. But according to what the federal authorities have said in their press conference and releases, it was basically throughout the state, though most of it was pretty much contained in the Twin City area. But, you know, they're going to be looking at all these programs. I mean, Minnesota is not going to be the only one under the microscope. I'm sure right now the authorities are looking at where did all the other monies go to. We just happened to, you know, obviously get this problem first. But, I mean, who knows what other kind of frauds are out there over the COVID funds.
2: Oh, my goodness. I don't know. I, I I feel as though so many things are crumbling in our lives. Can you just... Tell me, how do you deal with, you know, six or seven cases that are on your shoulders and something like this comes for it? And if you were to get the call to be involved in handling or, or uh, handling some of these rotten people, I can imagine, mm-hmm. only imagine what you think. Have you cons- considered that at all? And if you were, would you actually um, step forward and, and, and uh, do this case?
3: Uh, no, attorneys are allowed to pick and choose their cases. So there are cases that come your way where you say, you know, I'm just not interested. And it doesn't happen all the time, but it does happen. And that happens in our office, you know, a couple of times a year uh, where you just get a case where you just say, you know, I'm just not going to. Represent you on this. I wish you luck. Please look elsewhere. So you don't have to take every case and something like this. Yeah. I mean, not only would it be extremely time consuming, but there's also a lot of evidence, at least what the federal government is saying against these individuals. So it would be a really tough case, too.
2: Absolutely. Um, Attorney Joe Tamburino, I really appreciate you joining us tonight. And, um, you know, I hope we get a chance to discuss this again as as these things start unfolding and getting deeper and deeper. I really believe it will get deeper and deeper. So we'll see. Thank you so much, sir. Thank you for having me on. Have a good evening. You too. Bye bye. Okay, so we're going to take a break. And when we come back, uh, we may only have like a minute or so when we come back to talk. But I do want to just mention one thing before we're all done with this, and we'll be back with that. Well, I tell you guys, as we wrap this up, um, one of the things I am proud of and those that really worked on this to bring some of these people to justice, um, it it, it just blows my mind. I know that the Attorney General, um, Keith Ellison, he said, you know, the future... Um, when they alerted the, the government of this fraud, they said that, you know what? They, they stole this. They stole this away. And I, it's so immoral and, and my disdain for it stinks at this moment. So I thank all of those who are involved that did so much to make a difference. My goodness. All right, you guys, pay attention to all the things that are going on. It could be you as well. It could be any of us who think that we're getting involved with a really reputable, uh, organization and we have to do our wo- homework. We have to look it up. We have to look into what they do, what they're, you know, their, their, what they do with their money, all of that. We have to stay on top of it. I know you're exhausted by it all, everything that's going on, but it's been worse before. The dark ages has not arrived. It's already happened and we haven't gotten there yet. So stay strong. Keep your head up. Keep going. All right. We'll be back in a minute. Welcome everyone. As we continue this hour, I'm excited to introduce you to Nicola Peterson, officer of the Peterson farms and, uh, of course, it's officially fall, which means the leaves will change. In fact, they are changing a little bit. Um, winter clothes are getting closer to being worn. Yep. And pumpkins everywhere. Uh-huh. But it also means the return of the Seavers Fall Festival. Yay. <laughs> the organization is back for another year of business, including the signature corn maze. Now, to talk about what kind of fun your family can get into this year, we welcome Nicola Peterson of the Peterson Farms. Um, They're joining us on this show and she joins us now on the John Schuster Caldwell Banker Hotline. Uh, Nicola, thank you so much for joining us.
4: Thank you for having me.
2: This year's May's theme is harvest season and uh will include some images and information about traditional farming operations during the fall season for crops. You know, a lot of people have been asking questions about how are the crops going? What are we what are we to expect in the spring? All those kind of questions. And even children are getting into this too, you know. <laughs> My grandbaby sometimes ask me about, you know, the farms with you know grandmother these this corn, where does this come from? That sort of thing. Um tell me more about how the children are involved. In the way you do things, like what's being presented this year, uh, the maize theme, the harvest season. How do you tell them all about that?
4: Yeah, so the harvest theme is really near and dear to our to our hearts. You know, a lot of people don't realize that when they come to the fall festival, we are a farm family. Uh, we grow quite a bit of grain, pumpkins, squash, apples, and so this year when we were sitting around the table deciding on a theme. Um, You know, with all the kind of uncertainty we've seen, especially around the global food supply, we thought this is a great time to um, help educate some of our customers on not only, obviously, crops as a whole across our nation, but how important it is here locally to Minnesota and, of course, specifically to our family. So um, we're really excited about the theme. We've seen people really, really enjoy it, and it's educational as well.
2: Well, you're back again, and that's great. You know, we've heard stories about farms not doing well and the crops not doing well. Was it too hot? Was it too cold? You know, over the years. And so tell me how the crop has been this year.
4: You know, it's been a pretty good growing season. Obviously, Minnesota itself has been pretty dry. Um, You know, our region here, we're pretty close to the Twin Cities. We farm along the Minnesota River Valley. I don't think that we are actually still officially in a drought season um but we have a lot of flooding that happens along the minnesota river so we've been fortunate to not be experiencing that this year but we are getting ready to harvest we'll start harvesting our crops i would say in the next two weeks two and a half weeks um and a farmer you know will always tell you something that's not quite right with the weather because it's of course out of our control but um so far things are looking up and now we just hope for a dry fall so we can stay in the fields
2: The corn maze has been a hit for a very long time. How long does it take to put that up, to put it together?
4: You know, that is something that despite being only open on the weekends in September and October, it is really a year-round endeavor for our family. We are planning all year. We're actually already planning for next year, even though we're in the midst of this season. Um, And so traditionally, we do a lot of planning in the winter. That's quiet for, for most families in agriculture, so we do a lot of planning during that time. Um, And then come spring, we actually plant the corn maze uh, and we don't cut it until generally around the 4th of July when it's about, oh, I'd say maybe calf high um, and we hoe it out by hand. So it's pretty labor intensive. Uh, We don't use GPS. We're not using machines. It's our family, our staff out there hoeing it out by hand to make the design uh, and then you know, really, all summer, we are out on the property, putting in infrastructure, you know p- making sure everything is up and running and and looking really nice and then, of course, in September, we open so it 's really you know year round despite being a very seasonal event
2: wow <laughs> that 's amazing mm-hmm. and how many farmers help with this? I mean how many come you guys it's like a family uh all around you so how do how it do they is, get involved?
4: Yeah, so my in-laws started the corn... We started as a corn maze. The corn maze is still our marquee back in 1997. And we have been... Our family's been part of the University of Minnesota math program. It's an agricultural exchange student program that um, is international. And at that time, they had students from England, and they mentioned the labyrinth mazes that are obviously very famous in England. And my father-in-law, Seaver, said, I think we should do that out of corn. And his wife, Sharon, um, thought he was crazy, and they had a lot on their plate at that time, just being a farm family. And he said, no, I think people would really like it. And, of course, his friends and colleagues in the ag industry thought, no one is ever going to pay you to walk through a field of corn. Like, that is just ridiculous. It's never going to work. Well, here we are, 26 years later, and, of course, corn mazes have popped up, no pun intended, not only you know across Minnesota, but you know nationally. There's, they're everywhere. So... Um, you know, he really was one of the first people to think of this and, and to implement it. Um, now, of course, we've morphed into very much of a fall festival uh, yes, with a has. lot of attractions and activities. But Seaver himself, he's 78 years old. He's still out in the parking lot helping people park cars. My mother-in-law is out there Sharon. So it's very much still owned and operated by our family. We're out there running it. Um, so it's, it's a labor of love. I'll say that.
2: Families really come out to this, and that's so exciting. Um, what do you hear from the youngest of the children? I mean, do you see the joy on their faces as well?
4: We do. So, you know, as our own family, and I have four little kids, and they're out there so on top and water, and they love it. So much of the inspiration comes from them. Um, so it's really heartwarming for us to see multigenerational families coming out. And now we've been open long enough that we've had, you know, young adults come out with their own children saying, hey, this is what I did when I was little, and now it's so special that I'm bringing my own young children out. So it really makes everything worth it, the trials and tribulations that go along with, you know, owning and operating a small business, especially the last couple of years, to see those families coming out and being in the fresh air, getting back to their farming roots that so many of us have. um, We really love it.
2: What is the one thing you you and your family really pray for um, when you're starting the harvest or when you when you're starting uh, to put this whole maze together? I mean, everyone is all hands on deck, right? (laughs) And I can just imagine how uh, you out of all the years, how many years has it been? You've been doing this?
4: 26, believe it or not.
2: 26 years. Has there ever been a year that let you down?
4: Yeah, you know, yes, we had one year and I'm gonna probably quote I think it was twenty eleven, it was an incredibly wet fall. So when you say, you know, what do you hope for, what do you pray for as you plan for this, the one thing that's out of our control really, I mean, besides of course the pandemic the last couple of years, has been weather. Um, and anyone in, in, in the ag field will tell you weather, you know, it can make or break your operation. The corn maze and the fall festival is no different. We are outside, we are in the elements. And so we are really always hoping for good weather. Um, And as long as we have that, it's been okay. But we did have a rainy rainy year, 2011, um, and that proves challenging. But, you know, we're still here. So live and learn, I suppose.
2: It really is quite remarkable. And congratulations to you for sticking and staying. Tell us what's new this year.
4: So this year, we actually spent a lot of time um, and capital putting infrastructure into the property. So people will definitely notice a lot more, especially in the petting zoo area. Uh, There's a lot more infrastructure. But most excitedly, we bought um, a huge state fair style slide this year. And um, Mm -hmm. for those that have been out before, it is about twice as high, twice as long, and four times as wide as the slide we've had previously. (laughs) Um, and interestingly enough, they don't make these slides anymore. So if you want one, you really traditionally have to purchase one from a state fair and they really don't come on the market all that often. So we were very fortunate to purchase it from the Ohio state fair this year. They brought it out on three semis. Uh, we built scaffolding, put it up and people are absolutely loving it. Whether you're five, 25 or 55, they're just, they're loving it. So we're really excited about that new edition this year.
2: Now, forgive me for not knowing this, but do you ever change the maze? Is it always the same?
4: We change this, the theme, like the maze design changes every single year. So Every year?
2: Always, wow. Yep. So we're always
4: changing that design. And then within the maze, there are uh, 26 signs, A to Z. You know, you can do a maze challenge, we call it. And on that signage labeled A to Z are different facts related to the theme. So, of course, this year it's related to farming, you know, specifically to Minnesota, the United States, our family. Um, But in previous years, we've done everything from, you know, election years. We've done geographical locations, you know, like the pyramids. We've done a cowboy theme. We've Mm -hmm. done the Vikings. You know, we've done a sports team before. So we have a myriad Uh, amount of themes that we've done and we're always, you know, thinking and brainstorming of new ones and sometimes they come from our customers, which we
2: love. Yeah. Here's the thing. There's so much on television, so much streaming. The young people, the children from 2020 to today are still having challenges letting go of television. Do you ever say to yourself, are they going to come this year? Because you think about a maze, and some people would say that's it, but it's not it. You guys have so much going on this year for all ages. Can you tell us a little bit about that?
4: That's right. So like I mentioned, we're very much more of a fall festival now, despite the corn maze still being our marquee. And it's funny, I have a lot of our customers tell me, I didn't even make it into the corn maze. There are so many other things to do. I can't believe it. I didn't have time to even make it into the corn maze, which, you know, we want people to do at all, but there's only so much time in the day. So we have things like jumping pillows, which are an open air inflatable. We've got a huge straw bale maze, two massive corn pits. Um, lots of entertainment. We've got magic shows, wildlife shows, pig races, kids dance, which is this really fun DJ Like it's all the kids up and dancing. Um, of course, I mentioned the big exotic petting zoo. We've got zip lines, an obstacle course, tons of food and beverages. So it's really a place that people should plan to spend. I mean, I'd say on average, minimum three to four hours, but I have people that show up at 10 that I'm you know, kindly escorting out at 7 o'clock when we're closing. So there really is so much to do. And, you know, we'll we'll send your children home tired, probably adults too, but for sure all the kids go home exhausted and, and are set for an early
2: bedtime. Speaking of spending, tell me how much this cost for the entrance.
4: Yep. So online it's $19. It is a little bit more expensive at the gate. It's $23 at the gate. Um, and that includes the majority of attractions and activities while on site.
2: Okay, so that's awesome. They don't have to pay another dime after that. That's incredible, really incredible. I don't know how you guys do it, but I'm really grateful that you do. I have never been, and I really want to come, Nicola. So I don't yes, know, we love it. I, I don't know. I have such um, allergies during this time of year, so <laughs> I'm going to, have to, have, to a, yep, gonna say, have to take a lot of something.
4: Yeah, I was going to say you have to take a dose up on Benadryl and come on out. We are we are open until October thirtieth. Um, Saturdays and Sundays. And then conveniently enough, we're also open during MEA, which is that long four-day school break for the kids. So Thursday, October 20th, and Friday, October 21st will also be open.
2: That's awesome. The last thing I would say to you, the tire mounting is quite interesting to me. Uh, Has it been there for many years?
4: It has. You know, so many of the attractions are really inspired by my husband. He's fourth-generation farm. His family has been farming since 1890. Um, and they really came from what he did as a kid. And so Tire Mountain was one of them. He loved playing on the old tractor tires that, of course, farmers keep around in case they need something for something. Um, and we thought, you know what, let's make a mountain out of them. And kids love it. It's the same with the corn pits. That idea really came from playing in the big semi trucks with grain in them that he would play in after harvest. So so much of it is really relatable back to the farm. And in Minnesota, so many of us with our farming roots, it's, it's really great to see people out and about enjoying it.
2: Well, congratulations. I also want to mention that the groups of 25 or more and seniors ages 65, it's $16, right?
4: Correct. And military. So military ID or, or veterans is also $16. Yeah, we always do that.
2: That's great. If people want more information, what is the website?
4: SeaversFestivals.com
2: seaversfestival.com Thank you so much for joining us tonight, Nicola. It's just, and I love your name, by the way. I, I have to Thank get out you. there. I'm going to do it before I leave this world, <laughs> I promise. <laughs> Thank
4: you. Thank All you. Thank right. you for having
2: me. Have a great evening. You too. All right, everyone, get out there and check it out. Uh, many of you have gone. I have it. We're going to take a break. We'll be back. Welcome back, everyone. You have been listening to Steel Talk, and I'm your host, Geraldine Steele. Of course, coming up uh, in the next hour is All Things Arts and Entertainment. We call it Center Stage. And guess what? Dessa is going to be on tonight. I am so excited about it. Uh, she is absolutely wonderful. If you don't know who she is, she's international performer. She is an author. She um, has these amazing albums. She has, she started out as a slam artist. I mean, it just goes on and on. She is brilliant. brilliant. Brilliant, literally brilliant. And if you want to hear all about what she's doing during these COVID years, especially this year, um, you want to stay tuned for that. That's coming up next. I do want to say, though, I forgot to give you the address of Seavers Festival Grounds. If you don't know, if this is your first time hearing about it and you want to bring your family and friends, do so. Just look up Seavers, that's S E V E R S, fallfestival.com. And then, of course, you can always get their address. But here it is, 3121 West 150th Street in Shakopee, Minnesota, 55379. All right, you guys, you got to get out there and see it. I've never been and I don't know if I, if my allergies can handle it. Oh, by the way, they are only open on Saturdays and Sundays. Um, they are, are doing it now through October 30th from 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And there are additional MEA hours Thursday and Friday, October 20th and 21st, 10 a.m. to 7 p.m. And we talked about tickets already online. It's $19, $23 at the gate. Um, if you're a group of 25 or more or 65 plus with an A, uh, Sixteen dollars. So there's a whole lot going on. Make sure you get out there and check it out. Are you going, Jonathan? Oh, he's I, not listening. I'm Jonathan. sorry. Are what was going? that? I, I had... Are you going? Are you going?
1: <laughs> um, no, I don't think I'll be able to go. Uh, just because I work my other job, and then weekends, I'm usually here, and I usually help out uh, on Saturdays. With uh, now that college football is back, I'm helping out with that show. So. there's not going to be a lot of time for me to go. It it sounds like a blast. It sounds like a whole lot of fun. So hopefully I'll be able to go sometime in the near future.
2: Well, you take care of yourself, Jonathan. Of course, if you get to go, man, tell me all about it. (laughs) All right, everyone. Thank you so much for this hour. And we're coming back with Center Stage.
1: Odyssey celebrates Mother's Day. Brought to you by T-Mobile. You can count on T-Mobile to help you stay connected on America's largest 5G network.